This is CliffCentral.com. Is this thing on? You're listening to The Bounce Show. It's live. Well, not this bit, but it's live on CliveCentral.com. Um, it's Cliff Central, Blatt. <clears throat> Sorry, scrap that, delete it. CliffCentral.com. I've been doing this show the whole year, and only now have I realized that I should be opening every week with the, the sultry serenading of George Michael. Yeah, I know it's Christmas, so everyone's going to be sentimental, so I've got to open up with this song. It's probably one of the best music videos you'll also see. Wham! Last Christmas. It is almost Christmas. It is the 14th of December. If you're listening live, welcome to it. Uh, I'm feeling very much in the engaging mood today because it's the second last bouncer of the year. So if you want to be in touch on the WhatsApp, 079-748-2090 or just tweet me at follow the bounce. If you're listening via podcast because we are essentially dual medium-ish, that's audio, but I mean, you know what I'm going at here, then uh, you can get in contact with the show by just simply emailing me, ben at the bounce.co.za. So I've got a very interesting show for you today, not just because I'm opening with wham. The world really became a poorer place when they lost George last year. Was it this year? Last year. This guy's his hair. I mean, everything about this this music video is just incredible. Incredible. Anyway, get back to the show. I digress. So last week, I went on the most incredible road trip. So I chatted to the guys from Suzuki about doing some work around their cars. And they said, look, you can take the Vitara to Cape Town if you want and let us know what you think. So on the back of that became this whole road trip. Which, uh, well, it was fantastic. It was a four or five day bonanza because I kind of left on Wednesday, left Johannesburg on the Wednesday, got into the Vitara and went straight down to Kharip Dam and then made my way to Cape Town because it was Cape Town 7. So, uh, I'm going to get into that, all into that this week. It's a really, really great road trip because if you're on your way down to the coast or you are driving in and around South Africa, I've got some great tips for you. And, uh, it was a real eye opener for me that I've done that drive so many different times. I'm from Cape Town originally. I moved to Joburg. So I've done the N1 up and down. I mean, I've actually lost counts and I've definitely done it in worse cars than the car I was in last week. And uh, I discovered new things and it was so cool. And, um, I've got a new love for road tripping again. It really was just such a great experience. And then being at the Cape Town sevens for the first time. Well, it's believe all the hype you can about the Cape Town sevens. It really is that good. I would love to make an annual thing. I'd love to make an annual sporting pilgrimage. I used to feel that way about Bok matches and I used to do that every year. I'd, I'd go someplace where the Springboks are playing, but, um, you know, regardless of the fact the box aren't as strong as it used to be I think just as a spectacle as a sporting event as an event in general the Cape Town 7s is the business so I'll give you more about that there's so much to catch up on from the world of sport right now Obviously, Alistair Kutsia had his judgment or his hearing or his presentation. I don't know what you want to call it. He addressed Saru yesterday to basically try to defend his meager piss poor. I think it's 44, 41% success rate where he's meant to be getting 65. Uh, so we don't know the outcome of that just yet, but we'll touch on that. Uh, we're also going to talk about Chris Froome. Uh, he did something dodgy with asthma medication. Well, I don't know. The Ashes are currently on the go. Champions League draw took place beginning of this week, so we all know the next step in that. There's obviously the big Steinhoff dilemma as well. How is that going to impact SA Rugby right now? The Ram Slam gets into the quarters, sorry, the semis, uh, heading into the final. And, uh, well, it's the English Premier League. It's so many interesting stats around there right now because one team is absolutely killing everyone. So, so much to get into, and the Cape Town Sevens itself as an actual rugby prospect. And then finally, we're going to talk about sporting memories of 2017. And this is where you need to come to the party here. Mostly because, well, let's be honest, next week's show is going to be nothing but recapping. So it'd be great to hear your thoughts around what you thought the best of 2017 was. Um, for me, it's still this song. If you weren't in the Christmas mood already, well, there you go. Thanks to Wham. Yeah, they really earned the exclamation mark with this one, as said in Deadpool. But uh, another thing I want to touch on today is a guy called Bob Menoray. Now, he's a guy I've been following on Instagram, and he is, well, as I'm sure he would use his own words in saying, he's funny as fuck. This guy has, well, 
I don't know his full story. And my my goal next year, I've got many, many goals. So I'm really thinking next year. I'm going to be so focused with this podcast next year. It's going to be like next level in various aspects. Uh, one of my goals is to actually get him and do an interview with him because I, I love what he does and that most guys after two beers or just most guys watching sport always wanted alternative commentary. I know we've tried alternative commentary on this channel before with the cricket and I, I'm always for anything that's alternative sports based. So he's got this amazing announcer voice. So if you haven't heard of Bob Manere yet, well, you're in for a treat because this guy is rather special. If you can follow him, B-O-B-M-E-N-E-R-Y, uh, that's him, Bob Manere. Uh, on Instagram, he just posts videos and he's got a YouTube channel as well. So this is his voice. I mean, as you can hear, he was kind of meant for announcing. Well, good evening, everybody. Welcome to the Travelers Championship here brought to you by Fox. It is Bob Mentory here. Standing next to me is absolutely nobody. But tonight, one man to watch, Jordan Spieth. He's on top of the leaderboard. Seven under. This is round three, and it begins right now on Fox. So well, that, good evening, that's that's his voice. So you can see he's he's cut out for this stuff. He really is. But what he's done is he's found a niche in being very, very alternative. Uh like when I say very, very alternative, the guy doesn't really hold back. Now there's a variety of clips out there. Um most of them are completely not safe for office environment if you are listening to this live uh without headphones on. But he's just got this he's got this amazing sort of um pitch and tone about what he does. So he, if you've never heard him before, you think, Oh my gosh, that guy's swearing because he sounds like such an like a authoritative announcer. The shot and it is off the post, thank God, because the mafia said they were gonna kill the goalie if it went in. So it looks like it Oh my god, holy fuck! It went in! The goalie is going to be executed. As a matter of fact, we are getting breaking news. Frankie and Bruno are coming down to the stadium right now with dull spoons to chop this guy's fucking pinky off. Oh, my goodness. The cartel is also on the way. They are coming with machine guns. He mostly commentates and kind of does stuff around American football because obviously in America, that's like institution and most people really care about that kind of stuff. But he's becoming quite a sensation and uh, a lot of his stuff is just so out of out of left field. So he's got a variety of things that he does. Mostly it's just him commentating with his invisible co-host who he refers to, but you never hear. But then every now and again, he actually takes real clips where the commentary is still there. And then he adds his touch like this curling video. She will be Canadian champion if she makes this shot. Yeah, but don't you think, John, that these girls are taking this a little too seriously? I mean, Jennifer Jones is just taking this shit way too seriously. And the people next to her have fucking broomsticks. This is a real sport. I just don't get it. Why am I here? I want to be at the fucking Panthers game. A most difficult attempt. Trying to come in off a stone on the outside. Why are they screaming so loud? There's no need. They're working on it frantically. There's the contact. There's the roll. She's made it. Wow. Yeah, unbelievable. I'm so excited for them. They fucking slowed down the sphere with broomsticks. Wow. So throughout the show, I'm going to give you some more clips from Bob Menery. But we must get into all the big stories right now. And it's going to start with Man City because that's the big talk right now. Basically, it's Man City... Man City's winning streak is like Bitcoin right now. Everyone's talking about it, and it's sensational. And everyone's expecting it to to fall and drop. Look at that, hey? I threw a cryptocurrency reference in the first 10 minutes of the show. Maybe I'm getting good at this. So Man City of now 15 straight wins. 15. Like, you know how incredible it is to be in the Premier League where you just don't lose for 15 matches? I mean, like, really good teams would be proud of that. The fact these guys are continuing to win is just exceptional. So the only time they've actually dropped points this entire season was when they drew once, and they drew to Everton. So their record currently has played 17, won 16. I mean, the goal difference is just ridiculous. They've scored 52. They've only conceded 11. A 41 41 goal difference. Man United are next best. And Man United are having a good season, right? They've played 17. They've won 12. They've drawn two. They've lost three. It's a pretty decent season. Um, Their goal difference is 26. And they started off the season like a house on fire. So Man City currently on 49 points. Man United in second place are 11 points behind them. Then you get Chelsea in third place. They're 14 points behind them. Then it goes down. Spurs and Liverpool are fourth and fifth respectively on 31 points. That's 18 points behind 
Man City right now. 18 points. They've only played 17 matches. They're 18 points behind. Arsenal are a staggering 19 points behind. And perennial bullshitter, Arsene Wenger, believes his team is not out of the title race. Arsene, your team is closer to the drop zone than you are to Man City. Just think about that. The season is 17 games in. These guys play 38 matches. They're 17 games in. And Arsene Wenger is... You're delusional, bud. You're delusional. But don't worry, Arsenal fan TV will tell you that every single week, regardless of what happens. It's an incredible record. Pep Guardiola, everyone thought was going to be the Messiah. He was going to be the chosen one. He's going to be special. All these kind of things. Man City coughed a lot of money for him. He wanted to go to England and he wanted to create something special. First season out, it didn't really happen. His team started to a lackluster season, but everyone knew they were building to something. And oh my, are they building to something. You can only just stop and um, admire this, really. I mean, I know Man United fans, they're not too, you know, they always hate Man City. And especially after Man United won the Man, uh, the Manchester, Dar- sorry, after Man City won the Manchester Derby last time out, uh, this last weekend. But it's an incredible record. But the big test will be obviously twofold. Can they maintain it? I firmly believe they can. No doubt about that. Because, I mean, I don't think the rivals are good enough. It's simple as that. Can they maintain it there? And then can they take it into Europe? So I reckon the squad's big enough. They can do both. They can win on both fronts. It just isn't going to happen. Is it going to happen? Which is everyone's big question because the league, I think, is done. Europe is the big thing. Speaking of Europe, the Champions League draw did take place. And uh, that means that, well, if you're a decent side, if you support a decent team, this is where it gets really interesting. Now, the pool stage is all good and well. But, you know, when Liverpool's scoring seven goals against some lackluster opposition. It's all about the knockouts. So this is how the draw went down. And uh, so February, unfortunately, we have to wait all the way to Valentine's Week. It's Valentine's Week to see more Champions League. So Spurs, well, they've drawn Juventus. That is going to be a tough nut to crack for them. Juventus aren't having the best of seasons. They, well, look, they may be transitioning a bit, but still, you don't want to really come against uh, come up against Juventus in the playoffs. These guys are hard and they're there. They know what to do. And Spurs, well, you know this was this was their big year as well. They got into into Europe at a bright start. They finished top of their log. I mean, they beat Real Madrid. So all credit to them to getting this far. But Juventus is a tough one. Basel, Man City, unlucky Basel, <laughs> unlucky indeed. Those two matches will take place February the thirteenth and Wednesday the fourteenth. We'll see Real Madrid getting PSG. Interesting one, this, because PSG, obviously, they like the Man City of France in so many different ways. They've got more money than anybody else. They're killing everyone in their local league. So much is expected of this team in the Champions League. And like Man City, they haven't produced the goods in this league just yet. So they've had great teams. They've had great results. They've been great at pool stages. And then they get to, like, the opposition in the knockouts, and that's it. So you could think that the same could happen here for PSG which would be kind of awkward. I don't think they expected to get Real Madrid in the quarters. Nobody expected Real Madrid not to win their group, but that's what's happened. So PSG, even though they set a new goal-scoring record in the opening uh, exchanges of the pool, pool matches, they get Real Madrid. It, whether they play well or not, it could very well be that they get knocked out again in the quarterfinals. After spending all that money on Neymar, it's quite possible. There's so much pressure on these guys now. So that's going to be the tie of all ties for the quarterfinals. Porto then had Liverpool, so Liverpool got a decent draw there. Those two matches will be February the 14th. Then Tuesday the 20th, we'll see Bayern München, Bayern Munich. They'll take on the Besiktas, the Besiktas, sorry, that's from Turkey. Chelsea will take on Barcelona, also a huge tie there, but you've got to think Barcelona will be too strong. Sevilla will have Man United. So Man United, again, they topped their pool, so um, yeah, it's a pretty favorable draw, that. Sevilla, of course, they were the Europa League champions for so often. Like I think they were three years in a row or something silly like that. Haven't really kicked it up with the big boys in this league. I don't see they're going to go any further in this one. And then Shakhtar Donetsk, they actually beat Man City in the last group stage match. I don't know if you can draw too much into that one. But they take on Roma, and Roma having a good season. So, um, yeah, very interesting to see. Those are your quarterfinal uh, ties, quarterfinal matchups there. February, that is where the Champions League will return. But don't worry, it's not like there's going to be a football sort of um, lull. You know the face of season is always good for these guys playing back-to-back fixtures. It's going to be non-stop, non-stop, all the way through the face of season. Mostly because that is when all of us are getting fat and lazy on the couch. So what better time to just plug the system with live sport? That's what the Premier League's really, really good at. Of course, there will be PSL action through the festive season as well. And uh, Sundowns, well, they're kind of just showing their class there. They've got two games in hand. They've got a healthy lead at the top of the PSL. Fitz, they're going to hopefully be able to use a decent run of games to get out of the relegation zone because they're still 
dead last. But I think eight or nine points separates the bottom team from, I think, fifth place team. So there's going to be all kinds of shakeups in the PSL, which will be pretty interesting to watch. Last week was the Joburg Open as well. Now, the Joburg Open, it's essentially brings a lot of rain, mostly because obviously in Johannesburg during the summertime, that is when Joburg gets all its rain. And uh, sometimes when the Joburg Open is played, it doesn't just rain. The, the sky basically just explodes. So Royal Johannesburg last time, um, it was, I think, January or Feb. I forget now. I think it was Feb, early Feb. Uh, it's it just a deluge of rain. It was so impossible. I don't know how, but the ground staff at Royal Johannesburg performed an absolute miracle in order for this to be a 72-hole tournament that ended on Sunday. Unfortunately, at Rand Park this year, they didn't have that sort of luxury. They just didn't have the opportunity for it to happen. Too much rain. It had to be a Monday finish. But uh, Shubankar Sharma from India, the young 21-year-old, he registered his first win of the European Tour, a three-shot win. Really incredible achievement for, for the young guy there because once you win on the European Tour like this, you are so set because now you get to a whole bunch of events. We all know the European Tour is essentially the world tour. They play all over the world. They will play in India. So obviously he's been exempt for those tournaments. It'd be a big favorite to do well there. And that's how you set your whole, you know, your, your career up like this. You get a win in your early 20s. You can now be guaranteed of where you're going to go. You can build momentum, build confidence and understand what, it's, what it takes to compete at this level. But well done for Rand Park for pulling this one through. I think they should try maybe host the Joburg Open in Cape Town because it seems to bring rain. I know there's a geographical problem with that, but you know, using my logic, you can see where I'm going with that. Uh, Chris Froome. Sure. This is a, well, people try to make this a big story. I don't know if it is a big story, but for so long, people have been questioning, like, you know, as soon as you become dominant in football, sorry, football, in, in cycling, as soon as you become dominant in cycling, everyone thinks, well, you know, is the guy doping? Unfortunately, the, the history of the sport suggests that you're not being cynical by thinking that you're kind of waiting for the penny to drop here. And uh, Froome and his team Sky, uh, I think the team Sky done bloody well in making sure that they have pushed Froome right to the top of the game. And he stayed there by winning so much. If it's been ethical, if it's been honest, then Great. I'm not looking for a scapegoat here, and I'm certainly not looking to have a, a sort of um, witch hunt around Chris Froome and his career. But the figures don't quite add up. Um, respected, well, some say not so respected, but you know, it depends on who you are. Uh, sports scientist person, Ross Tucker, doesn't believe Chris Froome has any chance of saying that his career has been honest. His times just don't add up, and his recovery and all this kind of stuff. And that Ross, that's what Ross does for a living. I mean, this is a guy who basically called bullshit on Tim Noakes before anyone else did. So you get his his um his camp basically saying not a chance for him could ever be hundred percent legit, honest. And the other people are saying, well, you know, he hasn't failed any drugs tests, so he's obviously legit. So in September it seemed he did fail a drugs test. So he had a positive test and elevated levels of the asthma drug salbutamol. So salbutamol is something that you'd obviously use to remedy asthma. Asthma is of course it's a breathing thingy. Uh, and he had more than double of what is allowed. So there was a big controversy around Bradley Wiggins and a few other people about using these things that they banned substances, but they're kind of looked upon a little bit differently because uh, it's therapeutic. So TUEs, as they were called, therapeutic use exemptions. That's what some of these things fell into. And the Fancy Bears, they're a big Russian hacking syndicate. They kind of exposed a lot of TUE usage that was maybe taken advantage of by these people with uh like high profile sports stars we all know that um uh that really whiny chick maria sharapova she had issues around um this drug that she was taking she didn't believe that was banned but it was banned and then she was trying to claim tues and yeah, mess so Froome has now been found ill of of uh, of, a, of a doping rule people will jump on this and they'll call it what it is let's just see it from one side though maybe he did just accidentally take too much of something that for an actual ailment like he actually got asthma and he needed this and it was more about just having a um, therapeutic use exemption that just gone a little bit wrong or this could be the tip of the iceberg you know people when they take drugs they mask them so maybe this one was almost like a fall symptom to say bigger stuff is going on like i'm a scientist all i'm saying is that i think where there's smoke there's fire around stuff like this and um maybe there'll be more probes around this there really will be or it's just a little slip up. He'll do whatever needs to be done to clear his name with this. And as he believes, this will not taint the legacy that he is creating in the sport. Yeah, like I'm, I'm tired of speculating on drugs, even giving it too much 
too much attention, but this is a big story for this week. So probe it as you wish. The Ashes are currently on the go. And uh, if you are listening live, well, England, they won the toss in the third test. They're currently 217 for four. Uh, David Malan, uh, he's doing better than ever expected. He's now the number five batsman in the English team. Currently 64 not at best. I was with him at 33 not out. Alistair Cook playing his 150th test. He only got seven. But the English have made a pretty good start here. Uh, I think generally uh, Root has now learned that you try bat first in test matches. But they are staring down the barrel of the gun here. They're two down in the five test series. This is the third test. So Australia, if they can win this one, they wrap it up. Threes up, straight up. A lot of controversy off the field with the Ashes. And it's only getting worse because now suddenly there's match fixing allegations. Now, the ICC's crack units who probe all these kind of things, they said, nope, there's no match-fixing going on here. And also, like, shock horror. Can you imagine match-fixing in the blue-eyed boy ashes? You know, like, look, if Pakistan get in and there's, like, allegations, well, they get treated really seriously. Okay, look, in fairness, Pakistan have got a dodgy track record when it comes to match-fixing, but they're also kind of probed a lot easier than these teams. Nobody would ever probe England for match-fixing. Hell no. They just capitulate by themselves. But, um, yeah, obviously the Sun and some other sort of tabloid rags are kind of, you know, getting on top of the story because they're trying to make it a big story. Basically, what they've got is they've got a hunch or a tip-off or, you know, a, a an anonymous source has said that there's an Indian bookmaker allegedly called Mr. Big. I mean, this sounds like a Sex in the City kind of pull-off here. Also, there's someone else uh, called the Silent Man. This sounds like bullshit to me. And uh, I don't know. Both these teams, these you know, these players are very well paid. Although that doesn't sometimes justify or doesn't actually you know disqualify people from becoming a match fixer. I mean, we've seen very rich cricketers in the past putting their hands in the till, so to speak. Ah, uh, I don't know. Right now, again, it's it's speculation. So if we see any sort of evidence around this, if there's a decent investigation, I think we can get back to the story. But right now, it's just becoming a bit of a soap opera. This Ashes series. We've got the headbutt from from Bester, which wasn't a headbutt. It was actually a greeting, but it was actually a, uh, I don't know. Um, English cricketers pouring beer all over each other. Uh, it, it's just it's just messy. Plus the fact that well, England they're going to get thrashed in the series anyway. Do they need this extra fanfare on the sidelines? Of course they don't. But this is what makes great sport nowadays. The Premier League has been showing us for years. Drama off the field equals eyes on the field. This is how sport works. And this is how T20 is a big deal. Or maybe WWE taught us this all. I don't know. I don't know who to credit to this, but it happens. In um, other cricket news, the Ram Slam is taking place right now. So we got to the semifinals of the domestic T20 tournament here in South Africa. And uh, with that, well, from the right, right from the beginning, it was very much a case of can anyone beat the Titans? They've got a star-studded team like nobody's business. They've just got players everywhere doing all kinds of things. They seem untouchable. They really do. They flew through the, the qualifying stages. They had no real issues with anybody. And now they won last night against the Warriors. So that was the first semi-final. Shamsi is bowling bloody well. You've got Abi Davilis who's knocking 50s. You've got Mark Room in that team as well. You've got Quinton Cock in that team. You've got a lot of players in that team who are bloody good. So they've gone over the Warriors. They now play in a home final, which will be against the Cobras or between the Cobras um, and the Dolphins. Sorry, the... Um, the Durban team. Both of those teams, I don't know, it's just cannon fodder, I guess. You've got a Centurion this weekend if you are in the mix and if you do want to go watch just good T20 cricket with your Titans fan or not. If you're in the Gauteng area, Centurion, 16th of December, there we go. What is that? Saturday, Friday, I don't know. Not good with math today. So that's going to be the Ramstein wrap-up there. That is your final for that. Into rugby before we get into my road trip story. And, well, interesting times around, I guess, off-field stuff again. So we all know that, you know, I was talking about Bitcoin at the start of the show. It had an incredibly strong week last week. It surged to all-time high. It got past $16,000. It started the year on $1,000. Again, too much crypto. See, it, I can't help it. Everyone's talking about it. It's not seeping into the show. So while that was happening, Steinhoff was just capitulating because Marcus just, uh, he seems like he's a bit of a dick deep down. He was doing inappropriate things and uh, the share price plummeted because there's been irregularities in their auditing, their bookkeeping and their whole business dealings. It plummeted. Now, why are we getting into finance right now is that Steinhoff are, well, they're kind of big role players in the sponsorship of SA Rugby. They sponsor the Blitzbox. Blitzbox are a huge deal. Probably the most positive, fantastic entity in all of SA Rugby. They also sponsor the Varsity Cup which is emerging as another fantastic, positive, great property within SA Rugby. 
those two things are getting people into the game like never before and they're getting people to be excited about rugby. All the things the Springboks kind of aren't doing right now. So Steinhoff's a major sponsor. So this week, Saru had, well, they had chats with Steinhoff to see, you know, what's what's going on? What's the course forward? Steinhoff, no doubt, they've, they're still an ongoing concern. You know, they didn't just have a crash in the stock market and now they're no longer happening. So they would still want their name in lights wherever you can go. Granted, a bit tainted right now, but they've probably paid a lot of money for these sponsorships. The contracts are done, and they must now be honoured. But from an ethical standpoint, um, you know, what do what do you do as as Saru? You know, you've got Steinhoff on these jerseys, you've got Steinhoff on the branding, uh, media publications, everything. It's Steinhoff, something or other involved with SA Rugby. It's a real, real concern. Saru wants some decent press with the box having, again, another shaky year after an even worse year. They're looking for good press. Steinhoff being attached to things, you know, there's a lot of bitterness. If you had a lot of shares in Steinhoff, which people did, people had their pensions involved in Steinhoff, you you see that word and you want to vomit. You really do. So you don't want to be attached to this right now. It's going to be fascinating to see how this works. And I think next year we're going to do a show completely around sports branding, sports marketing. Um, we're going to do a very in-depth kind of thing around panel discussions around this. January is going to be very good in that respect. We're going to have some very smart people talking about things in the very business sense of sport. So this is something I'll bring up with them. But it's um, it's so interesting. We live in interesting times, if nothing else. How that thing's going to play out, well, we know as much as, say, how Alistair could see it's going to play out right now. As I said at the start of the show, yesterday he went into Saru's head offices and he went to present his case. We don't know what's going on. It's obviously very tight-lipped. All we know is that it has happened. Apparently today, 14th December, there will be an announcement around the process of what is going to go on from now. But they won't make a decision and they won't release anything just yet from my, my understanding. They're going to be talking about the fact that things have been addressed and they'll use other shit terms like processes and protocols and fair trial and all that kind of stuff. And they'll probably use other things like big picture and uh, considering the future so that they'll they'll lose those in useless platitudes. But essentially, the new dynamic in this whole case is that Rusty Erasmus is now part of SA Rugby. He's very much going to be calling the shots to the extent I'm not entirely sure he's not going to be the coach. Uh, but he is going to be instrumental in who the new coach is, if there's a new coach. If Alistair Sears stays, he'll obviously have a, put be a lot more strings than what's happening right now. He'll be a lot more responsible as far as what squad is out there. Uh, I had um, the privilege of playing golf with Matt Pierce last week. That's not me name dropping. It's just the sort of context of the story is that Matt Pierce, the commentator for, you, know, you watch a box game, you're going to hear Matt call in the match. Now, he has the privilege or... <laughs> I don't know if you can call it a privilege, but he's probably spent more time in and around the Bok camp than most normal people. Now, I say normal people because he's a journalist, so he hasn't had the blinkers of being part of a management team that's got to sing from Alice's song sheet of looking for positives and all that other crap. So Matt had some very interesting things to say about his time uh, with the box. I mean, I'm not going to disclose anything salacious here. Is that Matt's a very measured guy, and he's not going to talk out of his ass about stuff. And he was saying that ultimately, when it comes to all, all said and done, and we've all bitched and moaned, Alistair Kutsia has failed from a selection point of view. And I know that sounds like a no-shit kind of comment, but when you really break it down, is that Alistair Kutsia is, it's almost like he's, he's, he's paying for the good characteristics that he has. You know, the good characteristics that he has as a coach is that he's put faith in players that he's identified and he's given them a fair chance to perform and he's trying to create a cohesive unit on the basis of the fact that he has faith in players. Now that's great. That's fantastic. I mean, if a coach has that, you, it's going to create a positive environment. But when the players don't perform and the players don't do their, their part of the deal there, then you've got a situation where the box are right now. So, Kutsia had a plan, and he's sticking to his plan. The game plan, all that kind of stuff aside, who's to say he's failed at that? When you've got players who aren't performing, and again, I'm not defending Alistair Kutsia here. I've got my own personal views, but let's not cloud overall th- thinking here. You've got players that can't so much as catch a ball when it's thrown to them, or they lose composure and can't kick a ball for shit in a pressure moment. That's, it's just, unfortunately, you're going to die, you're going to fall on your sword around that. You're picking the wrong players. As simple as that. Matt was saying that when he was at the, at the training session of the, prior to the Irish, the Irish match where the box were absolutely hammered, thrashed, humiliated, embarrassed, he stood there with Jean de Villiers. Obviously, Jean de Villiers is another person who knows a hell of a lot about rugby. Um, and he's a guy who's been in the system. And Sean said to Matt, like, you know, I've been part of the Springbok setup for quite some time now. 
And in all my time, I would say what I just saw now on the training field has got to be up there with one of the greatest Springbok performances as far as what the team was doing, how they were going about training, how focused they were. And again, you would say, well, against tackle bags, who, who, who cares? But, you know, it's not like this team doesn't know what they're doing. It's the whole thing. It's just that the players, when it comes to executing on the field, they're dropping it. They're just dropping it. So where I'm going with all of this is that this is the ultimate reckoning for Alistair Kutsiri is that he hasn't adapted. So he's had faith in all of this. It's kind of like backing a, you're backing a bad horse. You're a horse in the right place, but you're just not adapting. And unfortunately, you need to make bigger calls. For bigger calls, you need bigger balls. And unfortunately, Alistair Kutsiri has shown he does not have those. So... This whole process is going to be, sorry, I've really spoken about this in a really long-winded roundabout sense. The whole process is that they're going to evaluate Alistair Kutsia, and I don't know what Sari's protocols are towards this or what they're even looking for, but his success record isn't good enough, and that should be alone, not like reason why he must go. The fact he has failed to adapt means that everything that he says about working to the future is null and void. There's no point about working to the future if your current plan doesn't adapt and therefore you're fine wanting now. Because then you basically, going back to the finance term, you're throwing good money after bad. He's failed. His mindset towards it is just doesn't work because he can't select the right players. Therefore, everything happens from now. You can't trust because you can't select. Oh, so that was, um, yeah, thoughts and as you could see it. So you won't find out before Christmas if he's going or if he's staying. So yeah, that's the, the long and the short of that. Anyway, uh, we need to get back to uh, the big story from, from the show, which is the Cape Town 7s and my road trip for that. But uh, while I take a slight breather, seeing as I am talking your horse here, a little bit more from Bob Menere. Now, again, another reason I like this guy is that his mind is where all of our minds are. It's like, what if sports announcers could say really say what they mean? Here's just a little clip of a sorry here's a montage of him just going through the situations of calling players the way we would see and and find them goodness i am so hung over today this is what sports announcers want to say during ridiculous plays from week one bob mentory david carr drops it across the middle he looks like he's going down but he says fuck that and he takes 10 tennessee titans with him end zone touchdown holy shit Kurt Cousins in the shotgun, looking across the middle, and there's some Eagles there, but fuck you, Eagles. Not a chance. You're stopping this man, Enzo. And my all-time favorite, Matt Ryan in the shotgun, takes his snap, looking, looking, almost falls over. He says, fuck it, throws it downfield, wide open. Oh, my goodness, and watch this. See you later, bitch. Get on the ground. There we go. Touchdown. Nobody's stopping him, Falcons. That's Bob Manare. Yeah, B-O-B-M-E-N-E-R-Y. You can follow him on all the social medias, and he puts the stuff out frequently as well. He's not just some guy who will only do this if he's drunk on the couch. He does it daily. He's become a real pro. <sighs> deep breath, deep breath. Okay, so second last show of the year. And uh, I've got a great story for you, which I'm going to be telling on my YouTube channel. So if you go onto YouTube, uh, follow the bounce. There's my profile there. I um So I... Basically, I was in talks with Suzuki, uh, in talks, make it sound so grand, basically decided that I was going to take their Vitara on a road trip. Now, I've never driven a Suzuki before on all the stuff I have done with cars. It's a brand that I haven't any association with just yet. And uh, Suzuki, well, someone pointed out that Barbie had a Suzuki on my YouTube channel today. And uh, you might know some of the little small and very capable SUVs have been around forever and ever. And now, well, if you look at car awards, I, mean, I don't know how serious you need to take car awards, but in the last few years, Suzuki have really, really found a, a place in the market in that they're making affordable cars of great quality. Plus, they're just loads of fun. And nowadays, they actually look pretty good too. Now, the Vitara is a prime example of that. It's a great SUV uh, starting around, I think, 279,000 Rand. That's, that's your start point if you're looking for references to what category of SUV we're talking about here. And um, look, drive-wise, hugely capable. Aesthetics, I think, fantastic. And uh, the actual comfort inside the interior, well, you would think, you know, how plasticky is it for that price? Uh, I can tell you, it's functional. It doesn't try too hard. It's kind of everything you want. You've got your Bluetooth in there. The model I had was uh, this most amazing panoramic sunroof. So it was just really, really cool. So on my YouTube channel, I've put part one out already. Part one is just basically me going down to the Kharib Dam. 
I'm actually really upset about this video because I had this amazing opening drone shot and I had it all planned out. Like I drove away from the Cliff Central Studios here, the drone panned up and they looked into the distance and it was, it was gold. And then, uh, I don't know, just don't have that clip. I, I can't find it. I might have deleted it. It maybe didn't go into memory card, whatever it is. These are the trials and tribulations that you are living through with my YouTube movies, my YouTube, uh, videos at the moment. So, uh, I apologize for a bit of a soft intro to that video, but part two is going to be incredible and part three also fantastic. So I'm basically documenting my entire trip from Joburg to Cape Town in the Vitara and all the different things that I come across. So I've never been to the Kharib Dam before. Again, Suzuki basically said to me, these guys, they've done so much in the, in the area. Um, you know, they know what they're talking about when it comes to doing road trips properly. So they said, okay, how about this? So you drive to Cape Town, you have a halfway stop, stop at the Kharib Dam, not going to do Bloemfontein, not going to do Colesburg, not going to do any of those kind of conventional places. The dam is where it's at. And yeah, sure, gave it a go. I got there. Oh my God, this place. If you've never been, and if you are driving down to Cape Town from Gauteng at any given stage, I can't, I cannot speak the place up enough. I really can't. It was just so interesting. It's the biggest dam in SA. And when you get there, you are blown away by the proportions of everything, the beauty of everything. And, um, it's just a really, really amazing place. And it's not hard to get to. And if you're in a car that maybe isn't as capable as the Vitara, you don't need anything. You, you, basically, it's tar roads the whole way. You know, like you have to go off the beaten track to find somewhere beautiful. This place is, you're on the N1, you're at the bottom of the free state before you get to the, 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 the boundary line where the Orange River is. You just turn left and literally seven minutes later from the highway, you're at the dam. There's an amazing dam wall you can drive over and I took the drone out and wow, incredible. Like I said, part one of this video is already on the YouTube channel. Part two will be coming shortly. It probably has the greatest sunrise in all of South Africa. It, I've been to many, many places in this country. I've had the great privilege of traveling quite a lot domestically over the years. Even back in my misspent youth when I was a DJ, I traveled a lot in the SA. I know a lot of places. I met a lot of people around this place. The Kharib Dam sunrise is phenomenal. The hotel I stayed at was up on a hill. Uh, so basically, I woke up at four and I... Yeah, I've got some great time lapses to show you. I took the drone down to the water's edge and flew around some of the best footage I've, I've taken so far as an amateur dronist. So that was day one and that was the start of day two, but I had quite a lot of stuff to do for day two. So when you do a road trip from Johannesburg down, you obviously the first half, it's not overly interesting because you're just getting through the free state. So it's farmlands. You want to kind of make a, you know, get a few hours under the belt in your first, first step. Once you get to the Kharib Dam, you're then going to be in, well, encountering the Karoo. I say encounter because if you're just going to drive straight, it can be a bit monotonous. It can be a bit boring. So what I wanted to do was go to Mikey's Fontaine because there's a great sporting heritage there. Now, we spoke about Dean Allen's book uh, around Mikey's Fontaine last year sometime, uh, how the guy, the Scottish guy, Logan, he, he started Mikey's Fontaine because he was, well, he was a very ambitious Scotsman. He eventually, well, he originally got on a boat because he wanted to go to Australia and find wealth and new life and all that kind of stuff. And he got off at the Cape and uh, he was quite ill at the time. He got off at the Cape and decided, oh, hang on a second, maybe I should try to do something here. And he worked out that maybe cricket was a way into the aristocracy, into becoming, you know, more one of the well-heeled in society there because of association of something you know, cricket. It was obviously the sport of all the really rich people and all the well-to-do. So he took to the game. He really did. And he became very good friends with Cecil John Rhodes. Obviously, was a big deal in those days in colonial times. And he cut a very long story. It's a good story, by the way. To get a very long story short, Mikey's Fontaine was what he created. It was on a rail route. He was an ambitious railway man. So if you go there today at Mikey's Fontaine, you'll see it literally is nothing. It's just, there's nothing around you in the middle of the, of the Karoo. You turn left into this little ornate town, which is like a, it's like a living museum of Victorian splendor. There's a railway station, which you can go to if you say on the fancy Rovis Rail blue train or the other more accessible, um, options. It stops at Mikey's Fontaine and it's a little train station with this amazing hotel and this main road. In there, there's a transport museum. There's another museum basically of uh, all kinds of things that happened back in the day. It's a fascinating little town. But as you pan away from the town, there's a cricket oval there. So what this dude was, this, this, this Scottish guy, Logan, he actually made an oval in the middle of the Karoo. It's just mind-boggling how why this place is or how it is if it's there. And, he, you know, he had some of the most important people of the day go and visit Mikey's Fontaine, stay at the hotel, and he even hosted, like, the English cricket greats from back in the day. Fascinating little place to go to. And uh, I was trying to get this all done in my 
day two of my uh, road trip because I wanted to be in Cape Town for the evening. But I could have spent a day, two days in Mikey's Fontaine. It was that fascinating. But I had to crack on. And uh, my road trip then took me from Mikey's Fontaine through the rest of the Karoo. And when you get to Hose, um, sorry, Toes River, you basically get an option. You can go, keep going straight on the N2, and then you go through uh, Worcester, Paul, and you end up in Cape Town. Or you can take a right turn. I think it's the N46. And from there, you get to go through Ceres. You get to go through Toolbach, And then you get into the Rubik Valley with Rubik Castile. So three towns that you can stop at. There's something really cool about them. And it really is. And some of the greatest driving roads ever. Because it's not the popular choice when going down to Cape Town. Look, it's longer. No doubt about it. It will take you about an extra hour, I guess. Um, you get some amazing, amazing driving roads. And there's no one on them. So the Vitara and I really sort of cracked on the heat there. And uh, cracking on the heat was about 40 degrees at the time. But some of the most amazing driving roads in SA. I really got to appreciate the car. I really got to enjoy the car. And then if you just, um, just as you get through, uh, Toolbuck itself, and again, another beautiful mountain pass to get you into this big open valley where the full flay dam is, there's a town of Koda, uh, Gouda, it's spelled like that, like the cheese. And they've got these amazing wind turbines. So that basically maintains electrical flow as it comes down the country. There's about 20 of these turbines. They are incredible. Such an amazing road, road trip kind of site. And then from there, Rubik Castile, it's a great place. My parents live in Rubik West. I know the valley really, really well. And then you get the best angle to come into Cape Town from. So it is a longer part of the trip, as you will see in the video on my YouTube channel. But then you get the full, full frontal or table mountain as you arrive. And there it is, Cape Town. So two days in the Vitara to get there. I wish I'd had three. I actually wish I had four. So, you know, like the best part of the trip was still ahead of me, but I had so much fun in getting down to Cape Town and the Cape Town sevens. Well, that was like sort of like the finish line for me. So I arrived Thursday evening out of full day on the Friday which was really cool. So I really wanted to play golf. I haven't played golf in Cape Town itself for quite some time. Whenever I go down there, I generally play Pearl Valley. So that's in Paul, in the Winelands. I wanted to play in the town itself. I got to play Steenberg for the first time in so long, probably eight years, eight, seven, eight years. And uh, like I was saying with Matt Pierce, it, the course is amazing. It's just so, so incredible. You've got the mountain views. You've got a beautifully manicured golf course. You've got the, the vineyards just draped in and around the holes such a special experience and it's also of course it's a functioning wine farm uh is steenberg and there's a place to there's a spa there there's a hotel there's a great restaurant there it was such a magical day prior to that i went up to signal hill and uh drove again like just this whole thing was about road tripping to the max so i was road tripping within cape town itself so i went up to signal hill got some amazing shots there unfortunately the drone was having a bit of a technical issue so it was two days where i couldn't use the thing it was very frustrating but it really was like Cape Town is absolute best. There was hurricane winds over the weekend. Of course, you know, there's no water there and it's, it's quite dry and horrible. But it was cloudless. It was just sunshine and it was just beautiful. It was incredible. So the top was very much uh, open. And I uh, got to drive around the stadium, which is beautiful. Signal Hill, which is incredible. And then to get to Steenberg, you can take the Atlantic Seaboard Road, which obviously takes you past 12 Apostles, through Lundudno, through Hard Bay. I really hope that... I mean, look, it's not, never going to come across as well as it can on video or on uh, photos, whatever it is. But the experience was so special. And I hope you can get some of that from uh, the car. I did take some 360 videos, which I'll try um, edit over the festive season because stuff takes ages. Where I literally just popped the camera out of the sunroof of the Vitara. So you can see full 360 me driving around Cape Town. It was so cool. Again, I just hope it gives you half as, as, as much of an impression as what I was getting because it, it was just special, special. Into the actual Saturday itself and the Cape Town Sevens, well, it was, like I said at the start of the show, believe all the hype around the Cape Town Sevens. It is amazing. To get down there as a first-timer, obviously everyone dresses up. And uh, when I say everyone dresses up, everybody dresses up. And not just like funny um, costumes that are made from whatever's in your closet people go to town with these things like there was a guy who was dressed up as Deadpool it, incredible attention to detail it was like he was Deadpool it was just that good there's all kinds of other sort of incredible um, characters that were thrown out from superheroes to you know somewhere I even two guys even dressed up as Marcus Yuster the Steinhoff guy <laughs> <laughs> but they, they, they were in like um, cuffs and uh, going to jail. So the creativity is there. When you get into the stadium itself, Cape Town Stadium is something that has to be witnessed. If you haven't been there before, either for the 2010 Football World Cup or you haven't been there for a local football match, whatever it is, the stadium is beautiful. 80,000 capacity or 70, it's one of the two. Um, just an amazing atmosphere. When the Blitzbox run out, 
Now, what makes the Cape Town 7 so incredibly special is that when you go around the world, whether it be uh, Dubai, Vegas, um, Wellington, uh, Singapore, I think, uh, all the destinations are great in the 7 Series, but none of them really have like a massive home team kind of hears about it. Like in New Zealand, nobody really cares about the 7s. They have it at that Wellington Stadium, and because they've got some fuddy-duddy beer rules nobody really wants to go Sydney as well I mean rugby as it is it's like the 10th most popular sport there rugby sevens is even less Cape Town everybody goes there because they want to watch the blitz box even the foreigners they go there they're excited about you know the hometown team because it's real hometown here's when those guys run out and the flames are going and the sound system is pounding they had the biggest biggest live stadium screen in the world this Megatron thing cannot believe like it's bigger than most houses it's it's just huge and it's perched up there beautifully on the stadium and when this thing this thing plays you become so mesmerized that you end up watching most of the game on the screen even though the players are right in front of you i mean that is how incredible the scale of this thing was blitzbox came out first day they obviously thrashed all the guys that played against that a pretty easy group uh first game against russia in particular but everyone's just so behind this team and this team is just so exciting to watch so saturday is very much the party day because the standard of rugby isn't incredible you know you've got a lot of mismatches as the stronger teams obviously what you know brush aside the weaker teams there were a couple of really good matches i mean particularly the usa beating new zealand that was an incredible match to watch then the usa beat australia as well they were a really great team in that first day watching the blitzbox in action and the crowd everyone just goes nuts for them but that's very much the party day so i was in the party stand um my girlfriend and I were there. We had a really, really great time. And you walk around the stadium and you'll find people you haven't seen in years. You'll find a lot of people. You meet a lot of people in the beer queues. Then the beer is served quick as well. One thing that's the key essential to any sporting event is how long it takes to get beer. Cape Town 7's, well done. You've nailed that. So there was so much to look at. There was so much to take in. It was really like, I, I'd love to go there with a the camera crew. I try to capture some stuff for you, which you'll see in the videos. But again, it doesn't do justice at all. Sunday... Sunday was a far better day from a rugby point of view. And the vibe is a little bit different because all the matches you see there are more strength versus strength. Obviously, the teams that didn't do so well in uh, day one, they get thrown into the lesser brackets and they'll play against teams of similar kind of nature. And then you go all the way up to the cup competition, which obviously the Blitzbox are in, all the good teams are in. And that match versus Fiji, it was uh, it was one of the... So you get, you get three cycles of matches, essentially, and there's entertainment between all three. But the match against Fiji, Fiji came out firing. They scored early tries. The Blitzbox showed incredible character. And again, I've, I've captured most of this on a 360 video, which I'll bring to you at some stage. The crowd was just going nuts towards the end. The Blitzbox left it late, but they scored towards the end. They won the match. They were through to the cup semifinal. Oh, goosebumps just thinking about this again, retelling the story. It was that good. Unfortunately, we all know what happened after that. New Zealand was then pitched against SA, um, and New Zealand won. And it is a little bit sad that, you know, as soon as that match ended, there was a hush around the stadium, which was horribly haunting because we always see these New Zealanders silencing SA crowds. It really grinds my nuts. But people just sort of um, flew out of the stadium. Like, I literally had to fly out of the stadium. I had a flight to catch, so that was me. I had to go. But when it came around to the final end of the day, it's a really great time because the sun's setting. The stadium is just immaculate. It's just brilliant. But, you know, the bus box weren't in there. They did beat Canada for the third-place spot, but the crowd had pretty much decided that was enough by that stage. So they all just streamed out. Obviously, home team support, when it is that dedicated, it does kind of ruin things from a greater standpoint. But still, Cape Town 7th 2017, absolutely incredible. I shall be back for as many years as I can be. This event was so good. You know, you look at international events, they're very difficult to get to because they're international events. You've got to get a plane ticket. You've got to go and stay at hotels. You're buying beer. It's not 30 rand. It's like 100 rand. It's like I've had the good fortune of going to the Dubai 7s, and I loved every moment of it. It wasn't as good as the Cape Town 7s, though. Simple as that. So we we have to appreciate these events that we do have that are this good, and Cape Town 7s simply is that good. So however you can get to it in, in future years, try make the effort. And if you can do it in a road trip like I did, well, I'd highly, highly re- recommend it. So big thanks to the guys for Suzuki. This isn't a paid-for advertisement or whatever. I just wanted to create really great content around the Cape Town 7s. They were partnering up with me on that. And the Vitara, well... It's great. It really is. It was everything I needed for the, for the whole week. Really enjoyed it. And um, like I said, I hope it comes across in the videos that I'm about to put out because it was so much fun. And uh, that's the reason I create content. That's the reason I do these shows, all this kind of stuff, is that I want you to enjoy a better sporting life. And if you can pick up from my experiences and learn from them, then amazing. 
really are running out of time here. So I'm just going to finish off with a little bit of Bob Menere before we get to that. Next week is the final bouncer of the year. So I'd really love to get your thoughts on what you thought were the best sporting moments for 2017. You can mail me, Ben, at the bounce. Otherwise, tweet me at follow the bounce and just share what you thought were the greatest moments. So obviously, I'll discuss them throughout the show. It's a full hour dedicated to the best of 2017 from a sporting perspective. For me, the sporting year started with Rory McIlroy at the ESA Open, the greatest sporting experience I think I've had in South Africa because it was just so unique. I've never seen crowds. No one's ever seen crowds like that at a golf tournament. I just remember I was chatting to Brandon Stone at the Gary Play Invitational a few weeks back, and he said, like, to this day, he still thinks about that moment where he got on that that, that 10th tee, which was the first hole that day. He was paired with Rory McIlroy, and he said he looked down the 10th hole at Glendower, and he just, endless, he just couldn't see where people ended. It was like four deep, but it was the entire hole. He said, like, how he hit the ball after that was just still a mystery to him. It was an occasion like no other. And that, for me, looking at it, was pretty much my sporting highlight for 2017. But I'll elaborate on a lot more. And I'd love to have your thoughts, too. So mail me, Ben at the bounce at And, uh, yeah, sporting 2017, sporting, 2017 sporting moments. Let's get through them next week. Thanks so much for joining me this week. I have run out of time, uh, but I'll play out with some other song. Anyway. Talk myself to death here. I know. Here's Bob Manere. I told you I was going to play out with him. And I'll catch you back next week for a lot more sport and a lot more sort of, obviously, catch up of the year. Anyway, I'm talking drivel right now. I'm exhausted. Catch you back next week. Hey everybody, I'm Bob Manere, and this is the segment called What Sports Announcers Want to Say But They Can't Say Because They Can't Swear on the Network. They'll get in trouble. Good news is, I'm not a sports announcer. I can say whatever I want. This is awesome. We start up with Beckham. Reality 0 0, first and 10. Five step drop back. Manning looking right side, complete to Beckham, and oh boy, what a low cheap hit by Body Calhoun, that piece of shit. Beckham's pissed. Helmet comes off. He might be hurt. Referee doesn't know what the fuck to do. Look at this hit. Just a helmet to the left kneecap in preseason. What a piece of shit, and I'm a Patriots fan. But I respect Beckham and his talents, and you don't do that in preseason. Right, ceremonial first pitch thrown out by this kid. Here's the pitch. Oh, my God, it hits the camera right in the penis. <laughs> and that is embarrassing. Look at that. Doesn't even see it coming right in the dick. Oh, boy. Two Rangers, if you're just joining us, top of the six. Here's the pitch. Swing and a high fly ball. Beltre's under it. Shouldn't be an issue. It looks like a routine play. Holy shit, he dropped it. And look at this. He is blaming the lights. Everybody's getting a kick out of him. He's making excuses. I still love you, Beltre, but pretty fundamental play you got to make right off his nipple. It's like getting hit in the ball. It's the theme here. Here's the pitch. I don't even know how to announce cricket, but it's a one-bouncer off the dirt and directly, once again, into the right testicle. As you can see, that's going to take some recovery time and a lot of ice. Ooh, baby. Here's the pitch. Roped into- this is CliffCentral.com.